0: Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Weekly Wrap. My name is Indira Chetty and I'm here to tell you what you can expect from the latest Farmer's Weekly magazine, the 26th February 2021 issue. We will also take a look at the week's top agricultural news. On the cover this week, we feature one of the oldest and purest cattle breeds, the Braun V. This breed was first introduced to South Africa 114 years ago and is known to thrive under some of the harshest conditions in the country. We speak to the owner of Witbeck, BraunVie, about the advantages of this hardy breed. Some other informative features on the cover this week include how to fight water scarcity and pollution through irrigation. New research reveals a surprising benefit that water hogs may hold for livestock producers, and an award-winning mango producer shares tips on mango tree manipulation. Did you know that BraunVie is a German word, which means brown cattle? This breed was originally brought to South Africa in 1907 as part of a program to breed animals for the country's high-lying cold areas. Now you can easily distinguish a brown by their light brown color with a creamy white muzzle, a dark nose and dark blue eye pigmentation which protects the animal against sunburn. Hans Bester was determined to find a top performing beef cattle breed with a calm and even temperament for easier handling and management and the Bronwee fitted the bull. In 2002, the family acquired their first Bronwee cattle, including six heifers from the Alpine Bronwee stud in Winberg, Free State. They were so impressed with the breed that they formed the Whitbeck stud a year later. Besta and his three daughters run the Woodbeck Bronwee stud on Sissy's DL farm in Freida, Free State. The stud comprises 100 animals, which include breeding cows, replacement heifers, and bulls. The V was at one stage criticized on a number of points and Bester and his daughters have responded by addressing these problems specifically in their stud and turning perceptions around. For example, the breed was previously slated for carving problems and Whitbeck V has therefore made carving ease one of its primary selection criteria. According to Bester, the ideal Whitbeck V is long-bodied, well-muscled and good-natured. Balance, strong haunches, and top conformation for optimal performance are non-negotiable. The breed's exceptional walking ability, strong legs, and deep, dark hooves make it well-suited to the hilly environment of the Free State High felt. Now, as stud breeders, Bester and his daughters focus on supplying the commercial beef production sector with animals that excel on the felt and add to long-term sustainability. The family extol the value of the brown in cross-breeding. Brown wheat crust breeds are characterized by hardiness, superior meat production, and significantly higher milk yield. The next feature we look at is how to fight water scarcity and pollution through irrigation. According to the State of Food and Agriculture 2020 report published by the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, approximately 1.2 billion people live in areas where severe water shortages and scarcity challenge agriculture, from very high drought frequency in dryland cropland and pastureland areas to very high water stress in irrigated areas. The report makes it clear that urgent action is needed to make water use in agriculture more sustainable and equitable. Since irrigated agriculture remains by far the largest user of fresh water, the use of more efficient irrigation systems can go a long way towards mitigating problems such as water scarcity. Previous research by the FAO has found that 128 million hectares of dryland cropland and 656 million hectares of pastureland face frequent droughts, while 171 million hectares of irrigated cropland are subject to high or very high water stress. Now, this means that about 11% of dryland cropland and 14% of pastureland experience severe recurring droughts, while more than 60% of irrigated cropland is highly water stressed, efficient irrigation plays an important role in achieving climate change adaptation in agriculture, as well as increasing land and water productivity. As the report explains, no single irrigation system is best for all situations. And according to the FAO, Conservation agriculture, when implemented with more efficient irrigation, can improve water and nutrient efficiency by promoting minimum soil disturbance. Next, we move on to an article about mango tree manipulation. Mangoes are a hardy crop that produce yield with minimal effort. Award-winning mango producer Johan Dupri says that the success of stable mango yields requires a keen understanding of mango trees and excellent management. He says you can leave mangoes to follow their own natural cycle with minimal interference and still get a crop. But with profit margins being so narrow, it's crucial to get the best crop and a consistent yield. And this is why he is constantly trying to improve the crop. Dupree, general manager of Bavari, Fruit estates in Hoedspruit, Limpopo has over 30 years experience as a mango farmer. He emphasizes the need to produce a consistent harvest rather than a bumper harvest one year but with inevitably smaller fruit and a small harvest with a large with larger fruit the following season. He has achieved approximately 27 ton per hectare consistently over the past 4 years. He is also the winner of the South African Mango Growers Association's coveted Golden Mango Award in 2018 for his contribution to mango research. Dupree says that the key to managing mangoes lies in understanding them. We are farming a tropical crop in a subtropical environment, so tree and environmental manipulation is necessary because mangoes are terminal bearing. The fruit is born only on new growth. Trees need to be manipulated to ensure flowering takes place at the right time, missing the cold in July and the heat in August. Dupree explains that May and June is the optimal time of the year as the temperatures are just right for flowering. We have also noticed that flower malformation, which has become a big problem industry-wide, is more prevalent on late flowers. So we try to get our trees flowering as early as possible. And this is where Dupree's experience at tree manipulation comes into its own. In December, he prunes those flower stems that have not borne fruit so that the tree sprouts a new growth. And this will ensure a good crop next year. And the last feature we focus on is warthogs. A new study published in the January 2021 issue of the Journal of Wildlife Diseases suggests that warthogs may act as sentinels for the spread of disease. In a retrospective study, 100 blood samples taken from May 1999 to August 2016 were examined for antibodies against infectious diseases in warthogs. Now, using those samples from five locations, the study looked for African swine fever virus, avian influenza virus, brucella, foot and mouth disease virus, leptosperia. Mycobacterium bovis, and Rift Valley Fever. The results showed that warthogs can be used as a model for investigating disease transmission at the human-wildlife and livestock interface. This was because the warthog, as an omnivore and scavenger, moves freely between natural ecotypes, farmland and human communities and is susceptible to diseases of zoonotic, agricultural and conservation concern. According to Professor Michelle Muller, who is a member of the Faculty of Medicine and Health Sciences at Stellenbosch University and was directly involved in the study, one of the messages that emerged from the study was that there is no evidence of warthogs carrying specific diseases in certain areas. So, if a farmer sees warthogs, rather than put their herd at risk, they may want to contact the animal health official or animal health technicians in the area to investigate whether there's a risk of disease based on surveillance of those animals. Now, this could inform farmers about any diseases circulating that might be a threat to their herd. But Miller cautions Despite the promising results of the Warthog study, biosecurity, fencing and monitoring at every level will continue to play a crucial role in controlling the spread of the disease. Now let's take a look at this week's top news stories. New outbreaks of the brown locust have been reported over a wide area of the central and upper Kuru in January and February following good rain. Dr. Roger Price, research team manager at the ARC, said that this is the first major outbreak in the past 10 years. While no major damage had yet been reported from the current outbreaks, brown locusts could cause extensive damage to crops. According to Dr. Price, brown locusts should not be confused with desert locusts that have decimated crops in eastern and northern Africa. Brown locusts were endemic to the semi-arid Kuru areas of South Africa and southern Namibia, formed smaller swarms and did not produce the same devastating cycles that desert locusts did. Farmers are urged to report outbreaks to their local district locust officer or to the Agriculture Department locust depots at Dar and Uppington. Terius Ndovo, Land Reform Deputy Director General at the Agriculture Department, recently briefed the Portfolio Committee on Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development on the progress of the release of state land. He said that the Agriculture Department had received 43,000 applications for 896 farms, comprising of 700,000 hectares underutilized or vacant state land. According to Ndovo, one of the main challenges faced by the department with regards to redistribution of the farms, aside from the high number of applications, was land invasions. Indover said a land rights inquiry in all provinces except in Pumalanga and the northwest had been completed. The inquiry found that 23,455 hectares were earmarked for existing land claims and that existing communities, farm dwellers and labourers already lived on almost 200,000 hectares. About 7,500 hectares were subjected to land invasions. Indovo said, "The rights of those who had a right to occupy the land would be respected, and they wouldn't be removed from the land." And we end off on a most serious note. The farming sector has warned of job losses due to the new minimum wage hike of 21 rand 69 an hour, which comes into effect on March 1, 2021. Christo van der Rieda Executive Director at AgriSA said that this drastic increase could result in a crisis for farmers that would have a far-reaching impact on the agricultural sector. The 16% increment is bound to have a serious knock-on effect and will unavoidably result in job losses. Willem Besbier, CEO of the South African Table Grape industry, shared the same sentiments and said that this would put an unfair burden on the industry and job losses would follow as a matter of course. Sati is probably the biggest job creator per hectare of all production sectors, providing about 14,000 permanent jobs and 66,000 seasonal jobs. Increased mechanization is bound to follow. He did say we are committed to a fair living wage for workers, but this huge increment is unjust. In more recent reports, Tawu SA's President Henry Hayes said Tawu SA would be declaring a dispute with the Department of Labor and Employment Minister Tembalani Mweksi regarding the irrational increase and Mweksi would be asked to place the increase on hold until the dispute was settled. And that's it for this week. Join us again next week when we tell you about the top stories from the 5th March issue. Also engage with us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, at Farmers Weekly Essay. And you can also tag us on your farming photos. Until next week, stay safe and happy.